book of Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin to read this morning verse number 17. And I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. Don't live like you're dead. Don't live like you're dead. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin to read in verse 17. Why don't you stand with me this morning. All those that can and are able in honor and in reverence. For the reading of God's word. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Begin to read in verse 17. The Bible says these words. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. That you should no longer walk. As the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness let's pray together father we pray your spirit would speak to us challenge us God I simply pray this, Lord, if there's one here who's never really given all of themselves to Jesus Christ, as in repentance they've turned from sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life, God, I pray they'll make that decision today. They'll choose Jesus and experience spiritual life that can only be found in him. Pray you'll challenge those today who have been saved, God, but who have slipped, they've gone back, they're not growing in the likeness of Christ, but they are sliding away, backslidden. They stand in need of revival. I pray you'll challenge them this morning. I pray they'll choose to stand and to turn and to begin to grow in the likeness of Christ again, being shaped by his will and his word. Father, whatever you want to accomplish in people's lives, I pray it'll be done as we yield ourselves and our will to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Remember that uh, Paul was writing in the book of Ephesians to the church, an actual church at Ephesus, six chapters in length. The first three chapters uh, were a great deal of doctrine. Paul is writing doctrinal truths concerning our riches as believers in Jesus Christ. Remember, he wasn't just writing to people who would, uh, the catch word today, you know, who were just seeking community. Uh, with a group of other people. These are individuals that the gospel had been shared with them. And they chose to turn from their sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of their lives. And then as they were discipled, they came together as a body and God planted a church in Ephesus. And they needed encouragement. They needed guidance. And so God, through his Holy Spirit, through Paul, wrote a letter to them. And so those first three chapters are reminding them of all that they are in Jesus Christ. But he moves from doctrine to duty. Remember that doctrine's no good unless you put it into shoe leather. Hell's going to be full of people who had the gospel right here. You look at me. They had it right here. The South's full of people. They believe Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross, and that he's the only way to have their sins forgiven. But here's the problem. They never by faith have turned from sin and received Jesus into their heart as Lord of their life. They've never called upon the Lord. And so you've got to put doctrine uh, into duty. You've got to put it into shoe leather for it to work. And so he begins to remind them of the high calling that God places on the life 
of his believers. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he, he, he shares with us we're to walk worthy of the high calling of which we were saved. Uh, remember that, that walk is the sum total of your lived out life. Verse 7 of chapter 4, I'll remind you last week, he shared about spiritual gifts that God gives every Christian, gift or gifts, at least one, sometimes more than that. It's to help you fulfill the calling God has upon you within the life of the church. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When you're born again and you join a local church family, you become a part of that body. And God has a function for you, and so he gives you at least one spiritual gift. And in verse 7, Paul began to share some of those. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are companion texts that help shape and guide us in understanding what spiritual gifts are. So then begins to contrast that healthy functioning church body made up by spiritually healthy disciples, sadly with those who are still dead in their sins. John chapter 3 verse 7, Jesus emphatically said, listen, you must be born again. Not you must join a church or a Bible study, or you must be baptized. He said, you must be born again. Why? Because chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you, you reminded the church of Ephesus, you're, you were born dead in trespasses and sin. And when you trust Christ, he makes you alive again, spiritually. And so he begins to challenge the church. Look at verse number 17. Don't, don't live like you're dead. Uh, verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. What that means in our vernacular is don't live like a lost person. He says, you say you're saved, you say you've been born again. Well, then live a life that demonstrates that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He challenges them not to live like they're lost. And so he begins to share some marks of spiritual deadness. Uh, verse 17, he shares about the thoughts of a lost person's life are absolutely futile. That is, they make no uh, eternal impact on their lives toward the good. And that's because man apart from himself can't know the man, mind of God, and the mind of God makes no sense to man. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah said, God said through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Uh, verse 18 of Ephesians 4, Paul begins to share that a lost person has no spiritual understanding. That is, the things of God make no sense to him whatsoever. Um, how a believer can get excited when they hear amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And a lost person looks at someone who's saved and that means something to them and it excites them. And they don't understand that. They don't understand the truth that I'm reading this morning. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man, that's a lost person, the natural man perceives not the things of God, neither can he know them for their foolishness to him. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. The only way someone can understand spiritual truths is to have spiritual life. In John chapter 6, Jesus had a, a large group that was following him. It was because to, to stay with Jesus was you saw a miracle, and at some point you were going to get a meal. And so... People were in on that. I mean, he was the hashtag in thing, follow Jesus. 
And so people say, what, what, what do we call ourselves? Oh, well, we're disciples. Everybody that follows Jesus is a disciple. Well, Jesus really began to lay down what it means to be a disciple. Not from the crowd's point of view, but from his. And he began to share what the life of surrender and sacrifice was really going to look like. And in verse number 60, the Bible says of John chapter 6, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, says, Man, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? You know, who can understand these spiritual truths that, that, that you're sharing right now? But in verse number 64, Jesus said to them, There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew who from the beginning they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knew in the crowd who really had turned and trusted him to be Lord of their life and who was just along for the ride. Uh, again, the, the, the cool word today, you know, the fellowship, uh, the community. Just to be in the crowd because it was the cool thing to do. The problem these people had wasn't that they couldn't understand, but they'd never been born again. They'd never surrendered their life to Christ. And if they had, they would have been able to understood the things that he was saying. Paul continues to share that not only do they not understand the spiritual things about God, but they're separated from his spiritual life. Verse 18 of Ephesians 4 says, they have their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, your sins have separated you from God. All mankind is born separated from God positionally and in relationship. Why? Because we're born with a sin nature. And sin stands between us. And John chapter 6, again in verse number 65, Jesus said, uh, that, and he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. Well, God wants all people to be saved, but he made a way for them to have relationship with him. And it's only through repentance and faith in Jesus as Lord of one's life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, that's anybody, you can insert your name there, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the greatest single most decision anybody will ever make in their life is what they do with Jesus Christ. But Paul continues to share that the lost people, they have their understanding darkened, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And if you're here this morning and you, you leave here that is ignorant of the life of God, separate from the life of God, it's not because you've not heard or you're not going to hear it's because you are willfully ignorant. Um, when I graduated high school, I was ignorant of algebra. I was ignorant of geometry. But it was a willful ignorance. I went to algebra class every day of my 11th grade year. Uh, I went to geometry. I even went to pre-calculus class every single day. I had to, my dad was my high school principal. I had to go. But so I went every day, and truth was being shared. But I was so hard-headed, I wouldn't receive it. And if you leave here today lost, it's not because God didn't choose you, friend. It's because you won't choose Him. You won't turn from your sin and humble all of you before Him. You can't compartmentalize your life and say, Well, God, I'll give you 90%, but I'm keeping the five. It doesn't work that way. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And so Paul says these individuals, they're, they're alienated from God because of their, their ignorance is in them. That is, they won't receive the truth by faith because of the blindness of their heart. It's willful ignorance, an absence of truth in action, not mentally, but truth that's put to action in their heart and in their life. And look at the sad continuance of what happens. Verse 19 says, who being past feeling. Paul says lost people come to a place where they're continually confronted with truth, but if they reject it, they get to a place, friend, where their hearts aren't tender anymore. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 1 says this, He who is often rebuked, that is, who hears the gospel, the voice of the Holy Spirit that says you're lost, you need to be saved, you need to turn from sin, you need to surrender your life to Christ, hear what the Word of God says, respond to it, repent, trust. He who is often rebuked but hardens his neck, you know, it's like a kid where, where, where mom or dad says, no, we're not going that way. And they do that stiffening up. Parent, grandparents, you know what, parents, that, that stiff, that, they used to drive me nuts when my kids would do that. I would say, so we're going this way, and they'd stiffen up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, friend, it can happen spiritually. The Spirit of God says you need to turn. You need to humble yourself to Jesus Christ. But he who hardens his neck, the Bible says, will come to a place, listen, that they will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. What's Paul saying here? What was, what was Solomon writing in Proverbs when he says, will suddenly be destroyed without remedy? Paul says you come to a place that you, you come past feeling. That is, when the gospel is shared, friend, you can come to a place in your life where you no longer hear the voice of God. Where the Spirit of God once called you and there was brokenness and tenderness and you admitted, you know, I do need to be saved. I am sorrowful for my sin. You can tell God no so many times, friend, that the Holy Spirit of God will not call anymore. You'll cross a deadline. And the Bible says, friend, you won't feel anything spiritually anymore. And then what happens, look at your Bibles in verse 19. Then that person gives themselves over to lewdness. No longer are you in and out. Just remember, you, now you've just, you're all in, but on the wrong side. And it's never enough. You give yourself over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. And we watch the news and we see our community and our world and we wonder, how can someone live in that kind of lostness? Because many, sadly, friend, have crossed God's deadline. They've given themselves over to lewdness, and to uncleanness. Paul says in verse number 20, though, but look, but you, but you. He says, not so as saved people. He said, that's not you. And you're not to, to live that way. That's the lost world that's around you, but that's not the life of a born-again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, child of God. You're not supposed to live like a lost person. You're supposed to live like someone whose life demonstrates the change that can only be found through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul shares four things that must be a reality in our lives as believers if we would not live a life like a lost person. Number one, as believers, we're to be receptive to truth. Look what the Bible says in verse 20. But you, you who have once repented, you who have trusted Christ, you who have surrendered your life to His Lordship, you who have been born again, but you have not so learned Christ. 
The first truth you're ever going to learn as a believer is that you're lost and that you need to be saved, and then you respond to that truth. Friend, you hear me this morning. God will never give you more light until you respond to the light that you have. It'll just never happen. And even after you're saved, until you respond to light that he's already shown you in the beginning steps of discipleship, he's not going to give you more light. You respond to that truth, he'll give you more truth. You respond to that truth, he'll continue to give you light along the path in his will. Because Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you're not trusting in your own wisdom, you're trusting in his and you're following the paths as he directs your steps. And so the life of a believer is, is, is marked by a reception of truth. Not only it's salvation that is acted on, not just mental assent, but a response by faith. And I want to tell you something, friend. You can fake faith with some people, but you can't with God. He knows the whosoever are's and the whosoever ain'ts. He knows. Can you think of how foolish it would have been if Sam and Alder would have called me and said, we want to dedicate our child this morning? And I would have said, you know, what if there were no Elsie, okay? And I said, what are you talking about? Well, we've got, you know, we've got a child we want to dedicate to the Lord. And I'm like, well, you haven't had a child. I mean, I know you got married. I was... Came, I remember we did premarital counseling. I was there at the service. It was beautiful, but what are you talking about? Oh, no, we've got a baby now. And so we'll just meet you at church. And I'll walk in to talk with them, and they've got a plastic baby doll in their arms. I say, well, we really want to go through with this. And, you know, I lose my mind, and I bring them up here on stage and say, well, church family, they want to dedicate themselves to, to raise, what's her name? Elsie, this plastic Elsie. You say, this place has lost its mind. Chad's lost his mind. They've lost his mind. We've lost our minds. We're still here watching this. She doesn't have life. She's plastic. They're faking it. Now, I want to tell you, friend, it's entirely possible to say you've been born again, to say you're a child of God, and you never have been. So you can join the church and you can sit here you can go through all the motions. Again, you can have the community and all the, all the things that go with, you know, being a part of a church today and never actually be born again. You can be in the first family that ever was, come from a long, long Baptist group. Your granddaddy can be a deacon. All the things that we attach to, you know, being super spiritual here in the South. And never actually do the one thing that matters. And that is to repent of sin and trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. God knows the whosoever wills and the whosoever are nots. He talks about the wheat and the tares. The wheat looks like the chaff. The wheat looked like the tares that the tares were sown among it. But God harvested all the wheat and burned the tares. He talked about a parable of a dragnet. He brought in all the fish and said this one's a keeper and this one isn't. And I'm telling you, friend, when you die, God knows who's been born again and who hasn't. And what determines where you spend eternity is not where you went to church, how religious you acted, what you gave mental amen assent to. Solely and alone what determines where you spend eternity is what you did with Jesus Christ. Did you ever bow the knee to his lordship as you turned from sin? Truth must not only be received, but it has to be acted upon. Look at verse number 20. He says, but you have not so 
learned Christ. He says, like so many lost people here in the South, they're going to die and go to hell. Look at me. They've learned Christ. They've heard about it. They've got it right here. He, Paul says, not so with you. You've learned Christ in your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10. You have trusted Him and you have confessed Him with your mouth to be Lord of your life. He said, you haven't trusted Him like religious people. You have a real relationship with Him. You've received truth by faith. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard Him and if indeed you have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. He says, if, if indeed you really did hear, and if indeed you really were taught, well, what, what did they respond to? What truths? Well, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come unto me. It's to all people. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Well, who's that? It's every person who's ever born or will be born. And Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Not a way, not a truth, and not a life, the. That means there's no other person you can find spiritual life in, friend, but Jesus Christ. And it's a truth that has to be received and acted upon. Look at verse number 21. If. It's conditional. He says, if you do this, this truth, repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1 verse 15. If you turn, if you receive Jesus to be Lord over all of you, you're going to have spiritual life. John 10, 10. Thief comes but steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so it's, it's truth that is first received and responded to, but listen, in order to have that abundant life, you have to continue to receive truth and respond to truth. He says, if indeed you have so learned, if indeed you have heard and put it into action. So there is the receiving of truth. If you don't want to live like a lost person or live like you're dead, you must be receptive of truth. Secondly, Paul says you must be repentant of sin. Remember, there's three words that describe repentance. That is to concur, to confess, and then change. That you've got to agree with God. There's no arguing. The Bible declares what it declares about sins, and God's word is forever settled in heaven. It's never going to change. Supreme Court can't vote it out. What culture can't cancel it. What God says is right is right, and what God says is wrong, it's always going to be wrong. And so what the Holy Spirit convicts us of, we have to agree with God and say, yes, God. And then we have to confess. Not only disagree and say, yep, that's right. Then we confess and say, God, I've done this. And in so doing, we turn from that. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, thank God, friend, there comes change. So I'm not who I should be as a growing Christian. I'm not who I used to be. But thanks be to God through the help of the Holy Spirit and his work, I'm not who I'm going to be in Jesus Christ. And it's daily repentance that helps that. Look at verse number 22. He says that you put off concerning the former conduct. And that word put off literally means to put away. Not just to put in the closet where you can get it back. Y'all remember Mr. Rogers? You used to watch him. He was a little fellow. I watched 
Mr. Rogers, uh, from time to time. And so Mr. Rogers had a little neighborhood, and he'd come home from work, and he'd take his work jacket off, he'd open up the closet, and he'd, he'd hang up his work jacket, and then he'd put on that cozy little sweater with the zipper, and he'd zip it up, and then you remember he'd toss his shoes over, and he'd change them. But he didn't put them in the trash can to where he never could put them on again because at the end of the show, where he'd put all these things away, he got them back and he put them on because he was going back outside into the real world. A lot of people think when they put away sin, well, I'm going to put it away for right now, but there's going to be a season where I'm going to get it back out. No, friend. In God's mind, when you repent of sin, when you look at your Bibles in verse number 22, when you put off concerning the former conduct, the old person that you used to be, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, God expects you, my friend, to have a heart and desire. That means I don't want it anymore. Now, we've been thinning the herd around our place, getting ready for a move. And we've taken some stuff down to Goodwill. I want you to understand, friend, when I took it down there and set it on the back steps of Goodwill, I don't aim to come back and get it. I'm putting it there because I don't ever want to see it anymore and I don't want it to be a part of our stuff. And when you repent of sin and when you really want rid of the old person you used to be, God expects you to put it away, friend, to where you don't want it to be a part of you anymore. And you can say it with your lips, but God can read your heart. He knows whether you really mean that or not. And Paul says if, you, if you're, you're going to live like you're not dead, you truly have to be repentant of sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says in life of a believer, verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, listen, that our old man, the old you, the old person, the old who you used to be before you got saved, was crucified with him that the body of sin, that is the sum total of your sin, past, present, and future, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so two, two verses that really stand out in that concerning the old man, the old you, are, are verse number 4 of Romans chapter 6. He says, we're to walk in newness, have no desire for what used to be but to desire to walk in newness because, verse 7, we've been freed from that life. And can I say, amen, praise the Lord. Don't have to be a slave to sin. Not only have I been freed from sin's penalty, but my friend, I can be set free from sin's possession of my life. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can have that kind of freedom. So Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, Except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. That's at salvation. But listen to me. Daily you must repent of sin. As soon as it happens, you've got to turn from it. 
you got to concur and say, yes, God, that's what it is. Because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. You say, well, the Holy Spirit's never told me I've sinned. Listen to me, my friend. I don't correct somebody else's children. I only correct mine. And if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't correct you when you sin, you better check your spiritual birth certificate. Because if you've really been saved, one of the sure signs of it is this. You can't get away with anything. As soon as you say it, think it, do it, my friend, boom! The Holy Spirit of God lets you know that's not right. And at that moment, friend, you've got to concur and say, God, I agree. God, I confess. And God, I'm turning. Would you change me into the likeness of Jesus Christ? You must be repentant of sin. And friend, I've got some bad news, but it ends with good news. Till you see Jesus in heaven, you're going to battle the old you. There are going to be every day that you wake up, the old you is going to be there. That's the flesh. They're going to try to take you back to the good days. Well, my friend, if the good days were so good, why did you want three of them? He's a liar. There was no good in the good days. It was all bad before Christ. You're always going to have that pull that you've got to fight. But thanks be to God, greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. And we can have victory over that. The Apostle Paul fought that. Sometimes the devil comes and says, well, you're, you're really not much of a Christian because you're dealing with all this temptation and hardship. Friend, I would, I would submit probably the greatest Christian that ever lived was the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 7, verse number 15, summarizing, Paul said this, the things I know I need to do, I find so difficult to do. And the things that I hate, sin, he said, I find it so easy to do. Why? Because Saul still lived inside Paul. Who he was before Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to put up with the old you until you die. But the help you've got now, friend, is the Holy Spirit of God lives within your heart. And Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can have victory over sin's possession of your life. But daily, continually, you must concur, confess, and yield yourself to God that you might be changed. So you must be receptive of truth. You must be repentant of sin. And third, you must be renewed in spirit daily. You must be renewed in spirit. Did anybody get tired yesterday evening around 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and go to bed? Anybody? Sleep last night, get a little sleep? Why'd you do that? Because you were tired. You were absolutely worn out. My friend, daily, it's not just at salvation that you're born again. You must be renewed daily through the Holy Spirit and through the reading of the Word and be washed. You've got to get the filth of the world off of Listen, friend, even if you don't yield to sin, just living in this world, it gets in your ears. It makes its way into your eyes. And, and it just, you have to dwell amongst it and, and walk amongst it. And it just, it gets on you and it just, it just weighs you down. You've got to be renewed. Look what verse number 23 of Ephesians 4 says. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul writing in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I love these two verses. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, those of you who have been born again, by the mercies of God, that you, you present, you make a choice to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is, every day, friend, you've got to make a choice to be all in for Jesus Christ. 
There's not one part of your life that belongs to the devil or his service. All of you has to be given to Jesus Christ. All of your family has to be given to Jesus Christ. And church family, can I just remind you, I've only got two Sundays left. All this church must be given to the Lord Jesus Christ to be fully used by God. I, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies, you make a choice to be a living sacrifice. It's, it's your reasonable service. Now listen to verse 2. And don't be conformed to the world. Because that's what the world's trying to do through media, through the people you work with. The devil, friend, once you get saved, he knows he can't take away that. But if he can bring you to a place that you make no impact toward the good of God's kingdom, but make a negative impact, now that makes him happy. He says, don't, don't be conformed by all of the things that the devil can try to use to conform you into an, to, to the life of an unbeliever. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 26, uh, Paul says this, you know, just like husbands love or to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, verse 26, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of the water by the word. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, God, sanctify. Sanctify disciples by your truth. Your word is truth. So just walking through the day, listening to the news, being at work, going to the grocery store, listening to people talking, I'm in the doctor's office waiting, where, just being in traffic with people. I mean, trying to obey the law of the land and somebody getting behind you like you're towing them down the road and they just keep telling you you're number one. I think that's what they're telling me and they're, they're honking and all of these things that can just press down on you from the, from the lost world to try to cause you to become bitter and act like you have no hope. Paul says, be renewed. Daily through the study of the Word of God and yielding to the Word of God, let Jesus Christ cleanse all of that off you. Literally give you a factory reset, as it were. Get, get all the junk out of your mind and out of your speech and out of your thinking and, and be renewed. Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, talk about a specific piece of furniture that was to be in the tabernacle. It was a laver. For us, it'd kind of look like a little bird bath you'd see out in somebody's garden. It was just a stand, and then it was a little, little wash pot, so to speak. There's to be water there. And every day, don't miss this, priests were to start their day completely ceremonially clean. They had to be absolutely spotless. There was a prescribed method ceremonially that they were physically to be clean, not only in heart, but physically their bodies, they began service. But through the day of service, Touching sacrifices, being with people, walking back and forth, the, the sweat, the dust that was on the ground outside, all of that would get on them. And God made a piece of furniture, a laver, it was a wash pot, and they were to daily cleanse themselves in that laver. And to not do that, the Bible says, made them unacceptable in their service. And friend, daily, you've got to get alone with God before you begin the day, as you end the day, throughout the day. You've got to get alone with God through the study of the Word and through meditation of that Word. And you've got to say this, God, wash me. Cleanse me. Get all the stuff 
that's on me and that's making its way in me that doesn't look like Jesus Christ, would you get it out that I might be presentable in your appearance? And the lost world might see that I'm different. Why does it matter? Because Proverbs 23, 7 says this, friend, as a man thinketh, so is he. That means if you, you begin to think about all of the, the, the way the lost world views life and does things, you'll start looking at it that way. You hear me, don't miss this. People, people think you're stupid when you talk like this. You watch television shows long enough where the main characters are shacked up out of wedlock or living in sin, I promise you before long, friend, you'll start thinking that's normal and acceptable because you're spending time with those people. That's how the devil shapes people's minds. As a man thinks, so is he. That's why you've got to think and meditate on the Word of God so that'll be the spiritual reality of you. It's, 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 it's being renewed daily in the spirit of God's Word. God's Word renews our mind as we daily surrender our will to Him and His Lordship. Our mind understands His Word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then when we understand it, we must be righteous, number four, in all living. Look at verse number 24. He says, verse 23, you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. Not, not the old you, but you put on the new man. It's the new you that Jesus Christ wants you to be. And listen to me, you don't get to have a choice in who that's going to be. You hear People give some of the dumbest advice to people sometimes. And one of the things people will tell people when they graduate high school or college is this, well, just follow your heart. I don't tell you what the Bible says, if you follow your heart, you're going to end. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of its ways are death. That's where following your heart will lead you. You see, I don't get to have a choice in who I'm going to be in Jesus Christ. He chooses that for me. Because the last decision I'll ever make in my life is to surrender my life and my will to Jesus Christ. Then I'm simply to follow him the rest of the days of my life. He says, look at it in verse number 24, and that you put on the new man, the new you, which was created according to God. That is, your mom and dad don't get to choose. They don't get to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Well, now we want Jimmy to be a lawyer, and Sue's going to be a nurse. How about this? Just pray they get saved and find out what God wants them to do, and go do it. Now, I've told my kids this for years, and I'm here with all my heart. I want them to be saved, I want them to know what God wants them to do and then to go do it. And then my job as a parent is to pray for them and to blow wind in their sails and to help them financially where I'm able to accomplish whatever God calls them to do. If that takes them to Timbuktu for the rest of their life, friend, I'd rather them be living for God in Timbuktu than living for the devil in a trailer behind the house. But so many people are concerned about what they want their children to be and where they want them to be. The greatest thing can ever happen to your child is to get saved and then find out what God's will is and then go do it for the rest of their life. That's success in life. He says, and that you might put on the new man which was created according to God. He gets to choose. He gets to set the pattern in true righteousness and holiness. Not self, but true righteousness and holiness. How does Paul describe that? We talked about Paul being the, the greatest of all Christians. What was the secret to that? I mean, 
Can I ask you a question this morning for those of you that have been saved? Do you really want to live a life holy, like Phyllis saying, that finishes well and that, that, that fulfills all of God's will for your life? If you really want that, say amen. God knows whether you mean it or not. And if you really mean it, here's the secret to it. Would you like to hear it? Verse number 20 of Galatians chapter 2 says this. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. That is, Paul says, when I trusted Jesus... I died to who I used to be. Everything that mom and dad raised me to be is Saul. He says, I threw away. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So as you see Paul going through the book of Acts, planting churches, reaching people, he's writing the, uh, the, the um, jail books that he's, that he's writing. One of them's here to the church at Ephesus, and God's 2,000 years later still speaking to our lives. How, how did that happen? Because Paul says, it, it wasn't me, it was Christ living in me. He says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That means daily, friend, know the Word of God and do the Word of God. Find out what God's will is for your life and just do it. That means you burn the bucket list and the bucket itself. It's all gone. You have no goals, you have no plans that you used to have. You have simply yielded your life to Jesus Christ. It's the same for an individual, a family, and church family, it's the same for us. I know in the days after I leave, people are going to begin to say, well, I think we need this for a new pastor, and we need this. Friend, God's already picked the next pastor. There's a man somewhere that God, he's standing and preaching God's word right now, and God's tearing his nest apart. He wants him to be your next pastor. It doesn't matter who you think the next pastor needs to be. It simply matters that you find out who God's already picked for you. And then you call him, and you let him be who God's made him to be. And, be the and that's the pastor you need is the one God wants for you. And the life you need is the one God's already picked for you. Paul says, verse 24, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Our lives are to be marked by righteousness and holiness. And I know the day in which we're living, someone says, well, that's just legalism. Well, it's not in the mind of God. A life of total separation, not governed by self. Don't live like a lost person. Well, my favorite passage of scriptures in John chapter 11, verse 44. Jesus had three friends in Bethany. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus had been sick. Lazarus died. He's been in the grave for four days. And Jesus showed up. And verse number 42 of John chapter 11, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Stay with me. He called a dead man from the grave. And the Bible says he came waddling out of that grave bound, hand and foot, just like a mummy. Just waddling out. We had life. Don't miss this. But the grave clothes were still on him. He looked like a dead man. But inside those grave clothes was an alive man. And Jesus said in verse number 44 of John chapter 11, Loose him and let him go. You see, he had to be free of all the old life. Lazarus couldn't, listen, Lazarus as a live person couldn't go walking around like a dead man. Because everybody's going to say, what's that mummy doing? Put him back in the grave. Friend, you can't experience God's best if you're living like a lost person. You'll never make the impact on this world that God desires to make in you and through you if you're living 
like a lost person. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Listen to me. That means you can't sit and waller in what yes, yesterday was. It's gone. It's dead. It's behind you. If you're going to be used by God making an impact in his kingdom, friend, you've got to press forward into tomorrow. Why? You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. He has a new life and a new will for you. As we go to invitation this morning, I want to ask you a question. Listen, John chapter 3, verse 7. Listen, listen. Don't pack up. Have you ever really been born again? Has there ever really been a moment in your life where you turned from sin and you surrendered all of you to Jesus Christ? I'm not saying have you ever been religious or did you join a denomination? Were you confirmed? Were you christened? Were you baptized? You hear me this morning. Elsie wasn't saved this morning because she stood up here and her parents held her up. She's still going to need to trust Jesus Christ one day to be Lord of her life. I'm asking you, has there ever been a moment where you turned from sin and you trusted Jesus to be Lord of you? There never has, friend. Do it now. This may be the last opportunity you ever have. Don't harden your heart against God. If the Spirit of God is calling you and drawing you, you choose to turn and receive Jesus today. Do it right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In the quietness of your heart, if you've never been saved, won't you pray like this to God and mean it with all your heart? God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again, and I turn from all my sin, all that's in my life. I agree, I confess it, I've done these things, and I turn from it. And in childlike faith today, oh Jesus, I ask you to be Lord over every area of my life. I give all of me that I know to give to you. I'm asking you to save me. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? In just a moment, I...